It's Metropolis 89.9 KCRW. I am Jason Bentley, and here in studio, it is a great pleasure to have Doc Martin and Marcus Wyatt. Uh, they are from Sublevel and Deep, respectively, and uh, they're here to play records for us. Um, but first, guys, thank you for coming through. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> so you two, my friends, are, are legends in the uh, Los Angeles uh, scene here, and um, I think, you know, as fans, the community, we, we appreciate that for you too. This is a calling. Um, mm -hmm. This is your life's uh, work. Right. But take us back to the start and tell us a little bit on the perspective of getting into the scene yourself. And maybe, Marcus, starting with you, because you are a local kid. Uh, you grew yeah. up right here in Santa Monica. I always collected a lot of music, even before I ever thought of putting record on a turntable and... Uh, I had a friend uh, who was a DJ, and um, over a period of time, we kind of made a pact to... I actually had a very extensive record collection for someone who wasn't a DJ, so we made a little deal in which um, I would allow him to use my records, so stored my records over at his place, and he would uh, use my records to make tapes for me, cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I guess after a while, uh, you know, he kind of felt I was getting a little too picky, and uh, he told me that he was going to show me how to uh, mix. And so it kind of all started there, and he invited me to do an event with him maybe a couple months later, and, and uh, actually had a very uh, impressive first outing. And... Um, he looked at me and he just said, I think this is something you need to pursue. Do you, re decks. Do you remember, you know, I think we all have those pivotal records that really opened our minds to this music. Do you remember one or two specific records that when you heard them, you kind of felt like there's no turning back now? Yeah, I had a few, but I would say one of the first ones would be, I wouldn't even say it was a house record per se, it would be, I would say, New Shoes, I Can't Wait. And I just remember being in New York, and I was actually in a taxi uh, with a friend, and we heard this crazy bass line behind us, and uh, to the point where I was like, we need to get out of this taxi, and I need to find out what that record is. <laughs> and that's what I did, and went and bought it, and from there, went to the record shop in New York, and got turned on to a lot of music, mm -hmm. and you know, rest is sort of history. Sure. Doc Martin, over to you. Um, tell right. us where it began. <laughs> um, and also coming to coming to Los Angeles, because I believe mm. you're up from, from the Bay Area. Yeah. I'm born and raised in San Francisco. Um, I've always was in bands. I played bass. I even sang, if you could believe that. Um, we had a band with uh, another DJ, Joshua. He was our keyboard player. Mm. And we did mostly ska and reggae, and we opened for people like Fishbone and No Doubt and people like that. I thought that was my calling. Mm -hmm. Then I went to a small bar to hang out because my friend was DJing. And he said, well, can you just, you know, put this next record on these restrooms? So I'm like, okay. Got the headphone on. I'm cueing it in my headphone, not realizing that the volume was up on the dance floor. And um, the owner thought I was scratching. So he said, would you like to take over a Tuesday night? And it was just one of those things where everything aligned and it happened that way. And mm. I'd always had extensive record collection as well. And it went from that. And then San Francisco did everything I could possibly do at that time up there and came to L.A. for a party and just fell in love with um, the city, the scene, the warehousing, the clubs, especially back then, something every night going on and just a real diverse amount of people and different types of people coming together. And that was just what hooked me. I came here for a year to try it out, and I'm still here. That was 1990. Now, Marcus, what about your first club? Because if I am uh, correct, it, it actually wasn't far from the radio station here, <laughs> a club on Pico at the time. I think it was called BBC or the Alligator I, Club. Or Actually, actually, <laughs> the BBC was in Hollywood, and there was a – another BBC later on, uh -huh. which was the one on Pico. On Pico. But the, the great story about the BBC in Hollywood, which was my first club, was it was actually where the film, Thank God It's Friday, was filmed. <laughs> and I remember when I first saw that film, it, it was probably the first time I ever saw a DJ <laughs> in, a, in a film or period. 
And uh, so it was really interesting once I started doing the party there that I'm in the DJ booth. I'm like, I can't believe I'm in the booth. Yeah. I mean, it was the same way. It was the <laughs> same DJ booth. And so um, basically when I started doing the party there, I didn't know a lot of people in Hollywood. And so I had a friend who was in a popular band here called The Untouchables yeah. and my friend Derek. And he, um, you know, he kind of, I pulled a favor basically. And I said, would you guys play for my event? And, you know, I knew that was a way to get people there. Mm. And, uh, and so he, he agreed to do it and helped me out. And we had people there for the first few weeks. And then I started sliding my house music in on them and, mm. you know, kind of the numbers diminished <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and literally one of my last nights I was going to do there cause I was losing my shirt these two British girls came in the DJ booth and they said, we don't understand. Why isn't this place packed? You're playing things that are new in London. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess they're not ready for it. And and I was going to give it another week and they saw that I had a box of flyers. And they said, basically, um, why don't you let us help you out this week and just give it a shot. And the next day, um, I was driving out Melrose and I saw them out with like a couple of their friends passing out my flyers. And then the next week, Numbers went from 50 to 200 and then 400, and then then we had to open up another room there. So that was really a pivotal moment. Well, you know, you're, you're both describing making leaps of faith for, yeah, for yeah. a music and yeah. for a scene, whether it's mm-hmm. you coming mm-hmm. to Los Angeles or you're facing uh, yeah. empty dance floors mm-hmm. but sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you think it is about this, this music that has been um, so powerful for you guys? Have you ever thought about, you know, what are the elements of this as opposed to anything else uh, that really speak to you? It's Unlike any other music, this music just really nurtures my soul. I always like to say this music chose me as opposed to me choosing it. And it just has this profound effect on my entire being. Obviously, I like a lot of different genres of music, but nothing really impacts me like this music. And I think Doc and I talked about this before. Just all the things that we did, all the risks we took. <laughs> At the time, when you love something this much, they're not even risks in your opinion. You, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, you don't even see it that way. But now we can look back and on all the stuff that we did, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> well, that yeah. makes me think of, of, I think, the first time I, I saw you, Doc. You know, you were very much part of the underground in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, seeking out your events I think the first time was an event called You Be the Judge, where you were <laughs> facing off against, I think it was Barry Weaver. Probably. And um, <laughs> it was supposed to be a popular vote as far as cheering for who, you know, won yeah. this this uh, scrum. Kind of a sensational gimmicky idea. But anyway, I do remember that you had this contingent of club kids there rooting <laughs> for you who were the most outrageous dressed um just elaborate like like in the tradition of new york club kids yeah. like the real yeah. deal and i just thought that was so fascinating to watch that that interaction that this community of the knights you know in the underground were there to uh, support you well at the time that i moved to la <laughs> Um, I'd also it's been invited to play at Disco 2000 in New York, which was the club kid mecca for the whole country, and we all know how that story ended up. But um, I played there for a couple of years for them, and they would fly me out to New York to play at the Limelight. And I saw things uh, I never thought I would see in a club go down. And um, I guess word got out here to the club kids out here that I was DJing for Kiyoki and crew in New York City, and therefore... They kind of latched on, and, you know, it's always good to have a bit of color there, you know. It's always good to have characters with you, you know, mm-hmm. whether they're dancers or just, you know, fabulous people or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it, I kind of – I learned in San Francisco when I first started that it was a lot easier when you had crowds that were mixed. Mm-hmm. So you would have different types of people coming together. It create a certain energy on the dance floor. You couldn't get necessarily, like, if you – go to at that time would have been like an RB club or something like that, you know, where those clubs, everyone's waiting for their song to come on, you know, mm-hmm. whereas in a house club, everyone's getting into a vibe together. And when that happens, and you've got a mixed crowd. People wouldn't even look at each other on the street, coming together, hugging, dancing, you know, and yeah. feeling it together. That's 
than the most powerful thing. Now, you have both uh, settled in over time with your community, your concept. And so I'd love for you to speak on that, you know, the meaning of, of the community that rallies around uh, the sound and, and what you've done over time. Um, because this is also a very trendy music scene, which has changed. Mm-hmm. It seems every month there's a new sound and new direction. But you guys have been more purists about what you do. I mean, and I'm curious, do you mm-hmm. feel like things have changed that much in terms of your sound? Or do you feel that you've been more pure in the direction? I think more for us than a particular sound or a type of music, it's a vibe. Obviously, we've both been around the world many times and have seen what we can bring to the table. Uh, I just played a club in Ibiza called DC10, and I didn't change my music at all to play there, you know, but yet people got into it. I think it's come all the way full circle again for us and the music we love, you know? It seems like, yeah, back, uh, you know, house music is mm-hmm. is back in vogue. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, with regard to the purest thing, I really don't see us that way because of um, Doc and I, we talk about music all the time and we're open to new sounds and, mm-hmm. and, and especially with the Burning Man influence that I've had. Yeah. And I just, I'm just open to music that appeals to my soul. A lot of it might fall into a, a similar sound or whatever. It may have certain things that are common denominators with regard to the music I choose. Yeah. And also I, I get yeah. the sense that you can tastefully draw from maybe yeah. a new yeah. kind of direction. Like uh, I, I heard uh, that first uh, Julio Bashmore record mm-hmm. I heard in your sets. And, yeah. and especially when you played it, mm-hmm. I was like, what, <laughs> what yeah. is this? Yeah. Uh, and I needed to find out what that record was. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think there is something as well to having a sound that people are familiar with mm-hmm. with you and mm-hmm. and maybe describe a little more specifically what sublevel means, what deep means to you. So doc, what is <laughs> what is sublevel? Well, we started the events 13 years ago at a time when there wasn't a lot of things outside the clubs going on and it was just a started out basically as a New Year's Eve party where I didn't feel like traveling to Europe or going to New York or being with a bunch of strangers. I wanted to be with my friends. And we put it together and, um, you know, 300 people the first time. Party went to 11 a.m. though. It was incredible. The vibe was good. A lot of friends together, a lot of new people I had never even heard of me before just came. And we've created sort of this collective and vibe. Um, A lot of dancers. We pull a lot of people from different scenes, you know, from Bernie Man, some of those people, a lot of dancers, a lot of generational as well. You have people coming with their uncles that used to listen to me in the 90s, and it's just a really warm vibe, and people are pretty open there. You can pretty much play anything you want. So, Marcus, give us the uh, the scoop on Deep. Oh, well, <laughs> Deep Deep basically began out of, uh, uh, I would just say, a need, and I just felt like I had a new uh, sort of, chapter <laughs> that was ready to be shared with the community and it was on the heels of me leaving Dozier Mamano the after hours I was a part of for many years and you know I always like to say like when one of the events I'm a part of starts to feel like work it's time to yeah. move on and so when I left Dozier Mamano I knew I wanted to do something different I knew I, my vision had shifted and that was when, you know, I sort of, I said, oh, I want to find a new venue. I mean, you know, for being here so many years, <laughs> we had used pretty much all the venues and, or that were known for dance music. And so I went to the Viper Room, and I really loved the room. I don't know. I think for many years I had another idea of what it would look like inside, and I found it to be a very <laughs> cool room. And so I went home that night, and I was like, I actually really want to do something there. And the next day friend of mine, Smurf, who was working for the Viper Room doing their promotion, he said, uh, Sal, actually, he saw, he found out you were there last night and wants to talk to you about doing something. And so, you know, there's always these little, you know, these little serendipitous things that happen, or I like to call them cosmic nods, <laughs> and that, you know, let you know that you're on the right course. And, and from, you know, the Viper Room, you know, we kind of grew out of that and, and really were able to form uh, what I felt was a very strong foundation for the music over at 1650. And, sure. Yeah. 
One thing I want to point out that's true for both of you is that in a in a scene and a world that has many pitfalls, uh, the trappings of uh, <laughs> of alcohol and drugs, and uh, you know, it's a very uh, frenetic world. You know, when people come into a club scene, it's it's also one that people move through pretty quickly. They kind of mm-hmm. move on and and maybe leave that part of their life behind. But um, for you guys, you have both um, nurtured uh, a very positive side to this, mm-hmm. um, where you found more of a spiritual purpose in what you're doing. And, you know, that might be for some people kind of unexpected, because when they go clubbing, they're thinking of superficial things like <laughs> bottle service and guest lists and, mm-hmm. you know, short skirts and all this. And both of you have really peeled away all of that nonsense and tried to present something transcendent, something true, something universal. And I think that is the secret to how long it's gone and how, mm-hmm. how popular it's been over time. So I don't know if there's a question there. I just want to say kudos to both of you for um, keeping it true and real and, and doing something meaningful uh, in this music scene. Oh, thank you. And I find that's true of pretty much any art form, you know, and also just reflective of life, you know, just when you sort of honor your own truth in whatever it is, or, or you nurture something and really, you know, like they say, if you love something and then enough, it'll love you back. Well, it takes you courage. Know? You know, you got yeah, yeah. to be Oh, it does. And, and I mean, you'll be, you will be tested <laughs> many times <laughs> along the way. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, uh, give us some perspective on your guys' relationship when you started working together, because you've both been doing your own thing in yeah. Los Angeles for a while. I like to describe our relationship as uh, like we're sort of the magic and bird of like. Great, <laughs> <laughs> I have to be bird. <laughs> no, but you know, you you you, you spend a, a great deal of your career doing your own thing and sort of building towards the same thing, and then we just sort of organically came together, and it was like you know it's a a few years ago, and it was just an instant brotherhood. Like we both knew. Like okay, yeah. now you know, who, who suggested go. working on something together first? I thumb wrestled him for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just seemed like it was both of us just knew it was time. Yeah, I did a deep for him. Um, mm-hmm. We did our live show there, which was great. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there was a little bit of time, and I guess we're both processing what had happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then. Yeah another event then there was an idea to do especially at the height of everyone just using computers and cdjs let's do an all vinyl classics night together mm-hmm. see if we can pull our crowds together and we did that and that was very successful and we, i think i was even a little surprised to be honest because mm-hmm. the club we was big were. and it was very busy and like people that neither of us see but when we came together they came out for it yeah and then our nights have just been busy, busy, busy. And we took it to San Francisco, looking to take it to a few other cities as well. Mm. And there's a lot of interest out there for it. Do you think there's something about Los Angeles for you that makes it right, you know, for the music and just as your, as your home, you know? It's something yeah. that we've both cultivated for years here. So yeah, it's, it's like being in your living room with your slippers on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing I want to add to that, and I'm sure Doc will agree, when we did that event he spoke of at the Vanguard and we saw everyone come together, we were like, even if we didn't like each other, we got to do this for the scene. I mean, but we did like each other, but I'm just saying, (laughs) it was just so obvious that we needed to move in that direction of working together and building something. But it's really just blossomed into an amazing friendship as well. We're already friends, but it's like, well, I should say brotherhood now, brotherhood. you know. And I'm not Larry Bird anymore, thank you. <laughs> <God. laughs> I don't do look you, good in white. <laughs> do you still see uh, new new people coming in? Okay. Yes, and, and I think it has a lot to do with Doc and myself being open to things and playing different types of parties. And, you know, Doc is always traveling and putting music out and everything and I just being think being open to new sounds and and fortunately I think for us we get invited to play with some of the newer school people yep. and so some of those people get turned on to us through that and whether they might have first heard me play at Burning Man and then found me at Deep after that mm-hmm. you know I've seen a lot of that 
And so it's been really interesting. And I'm, I mean, you know, we're both really grateful for that because it keeps us fresh as well. Well, yeah. you know, I have to say you both are a huge influence on me personally. And probably the reason why I am who I am now <laughs> is, is, uh, in, is due to, to you guys, your direction. Marcus, I mean, you were, I reached out to you uh, and you didn't know me from Adam and you welcomed Sonic. me. To a, <laughs> you welcomed me to a to a club and mm-hmm. and you you know you were very open your heart was open to to me and you didn't know who I was you know and well and, I think it was just more so about people who and you know I just felt that your heart was in the right place for the music and at that time there wasn't a lot of us <laughs> no it was a and bad. so I wanted to support whoever I really felt was sincere in <laughs> just, wanting to. Just a side note, I want to <laughs> tell people, um, you came to play at my radio show, and um, we didn't have a table for the turntables. That's right. And you were good enough to actually DJ on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> you actually laid down on the floor to do it, because yeah. we only had the DJ, the coffin laying <laughs> on the right. floor. That's right. <laughs> that was probably my first uh, yoga posture. And I was going to say something like that. <laughs> All right, so tell us about this mix that we have to play. Um, when was this recorded? Uh, every year, Doc and I commit to a couple parties on the west side that yeah. we do over at the townhouse, and uh, we did our 4th of July Independence Day yep. uh, event, and uh, that's where this was recorded. Okay, so this is both of you as separate sets, or did you just go like back and forth? Back and uh, forth. A couple at a time, two per two, yeah. three per three. All right. Yeah. Whatever felt yeah. right. It's There's no that... Um, how do you say DJ bravado ego, going on? Ego. Just kind of like if I see yeah. him talking to somebody, I'll just keep playing. Yeah, <laughs> Same yeah. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. Doc Martin, Marcus Wyatt's, and a guest DJ sets in Metropolis on KCRW. Thanks, Thanks for, having, for us. having us. Come on, come on. Charles, my name is on the list. What list? The DJ's list. Come on, Miss Bing. There is no guest list tonight.
Get naked, y'all. 